I'm really excited to announce another guest to the show, Anthony Spina. Anthony has worked with several well-known brands, including Pabst, Old Style, White Claw, and today he is the co-founder of System Seltzer. Okay, so here's my question about like uh, this type of music, right? Yeah, yeah. So this we used to do stuff with Paps with uh, with some stuff in the death metal scene. Here, see, like, see if you can grab. Check, check. Oh, that's nice. I was trying to. What? Sorry, what were oh, you saying? So the death metal scene. So I didn't know you were into death metal. I'm not. Uh, you know, but curiosity—you never know where, where it will take you. Yeah. So you have these these people, right? And it's like, man, like that's like that's someone's real voice. It's a thing. Um, but I always wonder, it's like, what happens, you know, when you're like ordering a pizza or something? Like, I'll take the pepperoni. Death metal in real life, yeah. which like doesn't exist. Because <laughs> it's someone's real voice, and it's not like easy to do either. Uh, maybe we should start the show. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, we have been talking for. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony's surprised that we have a theme song. There's like an intro here? <laughs> I mean, welcome to the Full Grain Podcast. <laughs> you didn't think we'd have a fancy intro song to uh, to bring you here, but thanks for coming, man. Intro written by Phil. Yeah, we wrote it. Uh, it was a lot more elaborate and like very extreme, kind of like Voljarta death oh, metal we like, were just listening. So it was like a very nice, like, like soothing death metal intro. If I'm honest, it started very death metal. I was thinking Stranger Things plus death metal, so it was like very synthy and death metal. And Nick's like, I think you might want to. You also sent it to me, and it was like a minute and fifteen seconds. And I'm like, I think we need like maybe eight seconds for this. <laughs> we were able to pull it back uh, pretty well, so it worked yeah, out. Well, hey, thanks for coming, man. And uh, you brought your special uh, treats. Do you want to tell, tell everybody what? What's on the uh, table here? I did for you guys. So that's yeah. the great thing. I don't think Nick, are you familiar with this, Nick? I'm not. Tell me. All right. So, you know, normally it's a little too early to be drinking. I know there's always the, it's five o'clock somewhere, but I think it's, it's like 11 something it's right now. It's noon right now. Oh, well, right? actually, that's not that bad. But it, well, anyways, let's pretend it was like nine in the morning and you'd be like, yeah, it's kind of inappropriate to like start drinking something. Um, but the great thing is that it's the first multi ABV variety pack, the first inclusive drinking system, a 0% a 5% and an 8%. So Nick, that means you can drink the zero right now. Nice. Did you bring multiple flavors? Because I find, we were just talking about this before we started the show. I was talking about flavors of seltzer. And I, for me, my brain goes to citrus first if I want a seltzer or something. And when we met, and I had never tried the product before, you said, no, you have to try black cherry first, mango second, lemon lime third, which was incredible. <laughs> Because I would have picked those in reverse order. Well, and that's what's so amazing when you actually look at, you know, flavor strategy, flavor hierarchy. So black cherry across the board is the highest indexing flavor. Tell us how you came about this. I, I want to go backwards in time for your professional life. But maybe we start with this first. Where are you at right now? With yeah. System? Well, so and so the great thing is, uh, gosh, we're about six months in to, you know, system really being live and out there. And that's been the whole piece is that. You know, we developed this during the pandemic, and the whole piece was that you're starting to look and see, you know, drinking habits shifting and a lot of, lot of kind of like larger societal pieces coming into play. And this whole thought of like, as wild as it sounds, you're like, how has nobody put three different alcohol pieces together? I mean, literally, it's kind of like, well, because it's, it's always um, different flavors, right? Well, after we 
after you introduced it to me, you said, hey, go down to Voss Foremost, which was next door, buy a case and, and take it home. Because I had uh, some people at my home that evening and we tried it. I wanted everybody to, to test it out, see what they thought. And uh, surprisingly, the 0% went first and the 8% went last. Maybe people aren't just going hard at, at well, our age. <laughs> well, no, and I think that's the big piece to me. I always think about uh, the so throughout this process, right, this was all literally like insight driven. So we're looking insight being like things that we're seeing in our day-to-day life, but also being like qualitative and quantitative. I'm just curious in general about, you know, some data pieces. So one of the pieces that we found was that the height of U.S. binge drinking, binge drinking being like, you know, more than like three to four drinks during an occasion, like that's binge drinking? You're like, okay, well, uh, now I understand why college and, uh, you know, some other times were, were the word was uh, actually 1999. So I was like, oh, great, when I was in high school. So that's why, you know, oh. college and everything subsequent, because that was normalized. That's a new thing? The binge drinking is an well, no, so the height, relatively new? The height of U.S. binge drinking mm. was in 1999. So the most people yes. doing it? Y- okay. Yeah. But that's so it, what okay. I'm saying is that so the U.S. drinks, you know, different than borderline like any other country, you know, in the world in the sense that, you know, we've normalized. We've normalized quick and mass consumption because a lot of, you know, you go, you start to travel abroad and you see like, oh yeah, drinking is paced out, you know, throughout the day at times, right? Well, you'll have a, you know, glass of wine or two with lunch and it's not this like mass consumption where you need to drink as much as possible in a short time frame, which at times, you know, is normalized in American culture. So that's starting to, I mean, starting is shifting right now. And it kind of ties into a lot of larger like societal trends, you know, with this kind of like better for you components. And then also some interesting pieces of like the onset of technology too. So I always think about this when I say onset of technology, sound like a really old person. If you were in college, right, um, you know, before you literally had like video cameras in your pocket, which sounds kind of crazy. I mean, I can remember literally when I was in high, I think, well, question for both of you guys. When did you get your first cell phone? How old were you? Can you remember? You go first, Phil. Oh, I know. This, this is... This is uh... I think it was probably 16. Uh, I mean, cell phones weren't a huge deal when I was growing up. However, my dad was a salesman, so he's always on the road. He had that huge, like, yes. brick oh, yep. cell yep. phone. So I think we were sort of the, the next step after the car phone, mm-hmm. which is like those Nokia little guys. My first car was my grandmother's old car, and there was a car phone in Just it. Just in the car. So yeah. it was like, I had a cell phone, but it was it was in my car. And it was it was my car, so I could call there you from no, my uh, car. No 4K video on that there one? There was no. There, I do remember getting the first phone that I got that had that could take a video, and I was like, this is the dumbest thing. <laughs> this is, there's no future in this. <laughs> but the whole thing is that when you have a video camera in your pocket, now it's like, oh, instead of a story... It's something that could be shared with your friends and anybody instantaneously. And so it's kind of like, yeah, that's not really cool if something, you know, if you like pass out in an alley or whatever it is that you do. So there's all these kind of like bigger things that come into play. And also, again, just with the kind of what they call like better for you, the concept of like health conscious. You look at, again, the rise of non-alcoholic beer, which I mean, up into literally three years ago, you'd be like, yeah, it's no duels or something, right? And it'd be re, I mean, not the most normal thing to be at a party and see a 21-year-old drinking, you know, duels, right? Or you'd be kind of like... There is a sort of macho, um, like, a hey, I'm an adult kind of aesthetic with alcohol. The normalization of people not, you know, having to partake with... Because 
alcohol has always been associated with fun, right? So it's almost like if you weren't drinking, you were not having fun. Other than if you were like the token straight edge or, you know, whatever that may be. When I say token in a nice way possible, there's always like one or two that's just like, I just don't drink, right? But now there's all these other players on the field where, you know, kind of the rise of like the better for you. But then also, um, you know, you throw in like cannabis and other kind of things in the mix that is legalized where it's like, yeah, you could be hanging out. Maybe you're drinking a THC drink or you had some sort of gummy or whatever it may be. But then the wildest thing too, and this actually this was uh, someone brought this up to me and I, I honestly had never thought about it until they brought it. I was like, whoa, my mind just kind of like exploded is they were like, think about over the last 20 years, the amount of people, you know, 18 to 26 that are on prescription medication where you actually can't drink to excess or really even drink in general it was some like insane you know growth number like like hundreds of percents and I was like oh that's wild because again, I'm gonna date myself again but I can remember you know when I was in high school that was kind of the first wave of like oh you're having a hard time uh, focusing in school take all these and you're like what right. the hell is that and you're like it's called Adderall and whatever it may be and you know I remember that and then you know again also the rise of like mental health and all that. I mean just in, you know, I mean, really Prozac Nation, right? And so all that stuff has now manifested itself and normalized 20 years later. Anyway, so all these, you know, that's the whole thing. It's like all about moments in time and all these things that come into play. And you have that moment in life, too, where you're just kind of like, if you see something, you genuinely believe it, and there's enough other people to do, shoot your shot. And that's um, what system that's, 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 came that's what system is. So to even be sitting here right now, six months in, um, people get it. Famous last words. So you want to build a beverage company from the ground up. Because I mean, you're not only building a brand, you're building a company too, mm-hmm. which is wild. And the whole analogy was like, yeah, it's kind of like the Italian job. Kind of cherry pick, um, you know, some of my personal professional heroes from across the board, um, and especially the liquid. Uh, I mean, the liquid was handwritten by uh, Randy Hughes who is the uh, former brewmaster for City Brewing. I mean, it's just like one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And, uh, you know, again, just so many people that I'm just like honored, frankly, to have as part of the squad. So you got like a cast of uh, superheroes on your (laughs) Something along those lines, Uh, you know, superheroes or, uh, you know, a bunch of misspent youths. I don't know. You know, so, on, on hireables, who knows? <laughs> Jason Statham did all of your uh, graphic design. <laughs> you go to an event, not everybody wants to drink. And you're going to sell a pack that, you know, I could bring to a party that would be shareable amongst everybody. So you're saying that's the inclusivity that you're talking about. Totally. And that was the big kind of, you know, piece of like, you know, what is system? And you're like, system is the first inclusive drinking system. The concept of inclusive drinking is that, you know, we're, uh, we're finalizing right now um, a CBD and terpene mix as well, which has been an absolute blast. I have felt that. And I think that's where a lot of my social anxiety comes from, if I'm being honest. I've felt that at parties in college where I would, or a bar, like if you're not holding a thing, you feel out of place, which is, I don't know why I felt that. Uh, so, well, the, I, mean, I think that's the big, drinking's the only thing that I can think of that if you're not doing it, you need to have an excuse or a reason. So, and actually th- this is a bit that I took from a comedian, so I don't claim it on my own, but it's like, you know, if you don't put mayonnaise on a sandwich, right? No one's like, oh, is everything okay? You all good? <laughs> By having three different color gradients, no one's like clocking your drinking, right? It's like, imagine how weird it would be mm. if someone was like, you know, I noticed, uh, I've been watching over the last couple hours and you've had four zeros. 
um, are you not going to engage with alcohol today? You know, I mean, like, that's super weird. I mean, he's like, you can ask me what I'm wearing or if I wore the same shirt, you know, yesterday too. It's like, that's weird, right? So make it to the point where, again, you're included, right? And the thing is like, yeah, I don't know. May, I'm having a couple of zeros. Maybe I'll have a five. Maybe I won't. And it's, None of your business, to be honest. It's like, different you know? than like a LaCroix too. Everybody knows you're not drinking. But for some reason, this feels... I know it's only been a brief moment. You I mean, just started this thing, but it, it does feel different at the party I had at this home. It felt like I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not trying to like, to, uh, to inflate your ego here, but it, it did feel like it was the same uh, level of like, I don't know how you describe it, but like I felt included too. Maybe that is the word. But it is what I found even more interesting was a lot of people really wanted the zeros and not so much the eights. That was interesting too. I thought people would want to drink, you know. Well, so that's that's the other piece too. So one of the other trademarks that we uh, did acquire is the first non-alcoholic hard seltzer. It's not just a Lacroix, you know. It does have electrolytes, and it's part of something bigger than itself. It's part of this system. All right, I want to go back in time with you. Where we just started at the end because. You had a professional, uh, or you've had, a, and you're continuing to have a professional career in the beverage industry. I think we first met when, perhaps when you first got started, was that when you were with Schlitz, doing the Schlitz stuff? Well, or did you do Schlitz? Well, I'm going to show you one of my favorite things of all time. Okay. I just can't believe it's come full circle and both of you are here oh, with me right I know now. you're going to pull out. I bet you do. Because I love to do it, actually. He's got a Chrome Excel wallet. I remember these. This is this is the beauty. So the gold foil has kind of come off, but that's the whole no, style. But, that, but, but look at how beautiful, you know, with things that are, if you build something that is timeless, right, and has a core, it'll last forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's actually what literally, you know, how I got into the beverage industry. Was Schlitz after this then? Well, so actually, so I, so Schlitz, I was actually just uh, facilitating with the, uh, with the brand manager to make those pieces. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, so that was, uh, so I was, I was here running the field and culture marketing. Um, and then especially when Paps moved to uh, Los Angeles. And so with John, when he was, you know, kind of repositioning Schlitz, which is a beautiful brand, by the way, I mean, the liquid's phenomenal. That's all, oh, that's when we did, you guys were actually both there, I believe. When we turned uh, Logan Square Auditorium into a fully immersive turn of the century, uh, like 1920s, like boxing. And uh, yeah, we had the guy from Boardwalk Empire come in. And actually, we wrapped the ring in horween leather. If I remember, I mean, it, I mean, it was to we, a I remember making you leather for boxing gloves. Yes. Oh, that's right. With uh, Bruce. At With Ray Cologne yeah. boxing. Yeah. I mean, man, I don't that, think they were usable because there's like there's actual regulations. Well, the reason I brought that up is because he knew about boxing. And he realized that if you if you made a leather for the boxing glove that had too much tack to it or oh. too much stick, it, it would just like rip people's faces apart. So we put special. We we <laughs> thought, I because you told me yeah like we're gonna try to use these things to make them look vintage. Yeah. So Bruce put on like this um more like silicone I believe to get it, to make it like a little bit more slick so it wouldn't just like grab people's faces Whoa. and rip them off. Yeah, I bet. So we put yeah, in a lot of thought to it, and then we're like, he probably can't even use these. Well, tell me more. You know a lot about the scene in Chicago, the community you have here, and you're talking about the hot dogs being relevant. It was actually our first episode we talked about hot dogs <gasps> of this show. So we... we Recurring theme. Yes. Wow. This, will be, this is the thread that really binds everybody is hot dogs. I mean, well, what is, other things, I know maybe in the beverage world, I'm 
thinking Chicago handshake, but are there other things that are specific to Chicago in terms of like our region's taste? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that I do love about Chicago more than anything is the, you know, is the neighborhood tavern and dive bar culture and scene. So Chicago is obviously a city of neighborhoods, right? And like there's very few actual cities that are like that. And so this whole piece where, you know, dive bars, A, they're timeless because they've lit, they come from an era where, you know, those were the localized community centers. And that's what's so beautiful is that you can't fake it, you can't replicate it. It's something that's weaved into the DNA of the actual neighborhoods which make up this larger city that's a structure. Thing to oh, Chicago? absolutely. Really? I, I mean, if you think about it, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know where, where else. I mean, I, I guess you could say maybe New York, but I mean, New York's not a city of neighborhoods, if you will, right? Mm. I mean, it's just a whole different scale. But I think that's what's so great is that you know you could you go to these these spots and they're timeless, and each one is different. They are the anchors because if you think about, like, for example, like Lincoln Park, right? Lincoln Park was like Skid Row in the 70s, right? I mean, I even think about uh, like Cole's Bar, for example, you know, or I mean, it's like, you know, they become, or Easy Inn is actually is a, is a beautiful example of how to take a, you know, kind of this dive bar that was there, but to really kind of just like, just, and again, a very, very simplistic and classic refresh and that's the whole piece like these things aren't retro they're classic do you think that those came community centers because of a lot of blue collar jobs you get off of work at the tannery maybe and walk across the street to hang so, out at your absolutely and that's the whole piece is that it's something that you know and it's close to home so if you get off you have a you know go have a pint at your local kind of neighborhood bar versus like these kind of destination spots and that's what's you know, again, I mean, you think about even the transition of Chicago in general, and you know, Chicago's always been this kind of like very like blue collar, working class, I mean, we're in the best way possible kind of city. And that's that's what, I mean, again, built, you know, built the United States. Have you been to, have you guys been to Richard's Bar? Oh. I've never been to Richard's no, Bar. It's what? next door to Las Corolla. You've no been, way. Oh, yeah, I have been. I made it as far oh. as the entryway. Oh, and I didn't. I just wasn't. It's in a the relic. Mood. Oh, timeless. Yeah. I don't I, think I do love Las Corolla though. Las Corolla, phenomenal. I mean, so good yeah. Italian food. But Richard's Bar is walking into history. It's kind of like walking in the tannery. Like I don't think they're faking it either. I think that's exactly no, how it's been it, for fifty no, years. Yeah, and, just, and then that's the whole piece. And I, I'm gonna also just I say this every time, but it's like literally one of my favorite Chicago moments of. All time, if you're like, what are your top 10, like Chicago moments or things that you, you will not find anywhere else, is going to the tour of the tannery. Mm. I, no, seriously, it, it's amazing. I remember, literally, you were walking and you were like... Uh, you I didn't so, know you were going to say that. You, That's you, not what I was you, waiting you, you, no, no, I was like, you, what should I do? No, 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 no. You, you said it so casually, too, but you were like, oh, you see those uh, machines over there? And I was like, yeah, you're like, yeah, there's only two of those that exist in the world. And there's two of them. And I was like, what? And, and it was the machine that... It was the foot pedal machine that it takes the leather um, and literally, and then it brings it down to like the right. I mean, they, they like shave the little pieces off. Mm -hmm. I again, I'm probably giving the most bootleg description of it, right? but it's like, I mean, and then also, oh, then the person who literally has the tongs and then grades. I mean, you're just like, it's the apprenticeship, right? I mean, I mean, you, you, I mean, how long it must take somebody to learn that because. 
it's something that I mean, literally, it's like one of a kind. It's like most interesting, you know, most interesting man in the world. Uh, you know, give it's like run for the money, where you're like, I, I guess like that position. There's probably like three of in the entire world. I'd say someone who can literally eyeball like you know <laughs> leather and say, mm, that's that. You know, yeah, I mean, it's pretty specific, and that's people ask like, well, so what's your uh, like, what, what do you what training do you require to work here? It's like, well, I mean, there's no I, like you can't. It's not like you're pulling from the uh, court of shaving. <laughs> pool on uh there's no college degree for that on a zip recruiter i mean so yeah everything is everything's from we train it for for or everything because those because it's just there's, there's such specific jobs but yeah those machines are we bought them new in like the 20s or i don't know <laughs> i don't know i mean they've been here they've been there i mean i i it's don't even know horween is a working museum oh I mean, in the way that richard's bar well, is to me like a working museum. okay and so prime example, and this is what I was just going to say, where they become the anchors and then the world around them changes, but they're still there, right? Mm -hmm. So, and this was one of the things that I didn't know until I started looking deeper into it is that that whole area around Horween used to be like, you know, like, like Tannery Central USA, or I mean, the, there was tanneries all around it, right? Because now it's like, oh, there's a Best Buy and a Kohl's. Shout out to Cole's Cash, one of the most genius ideas of all time. They literally, they get you. They get you. It's the most like <laughs> genius. I never use them. Shout out to Cole's Cash. Don't be a monster. Look, it, literally as he's counting his Cole's Cash right now, if you yeah. can't see this, he's literally just like counting Cole's Cash. You're totally right though, because that that whole, yeah. there's actually a business now from our friend John Culleton has a company called The Tannery Row, which was named after that strip of Elston and the river. It, it's, there were other sections my understanding of the city that had tanneries but that was like a big strip of them and they're the last ones the, the, there was one other that went away to wisconsin about 15 years ago wow um, and that was the second to last one but there, i think there were hundreds at one point in time there were i don't think that i think there were like maybe three dozen which yeah. is still a lot That's though because but they were they were big but they were but then all these like the associated industry was here too like the mm -hmm. glove makers and like the shoemakers and stuff but I mean, the stockyards were here, so all the animals were coming here. That's right. So yeah, so they we were the tanneries were a lot of them were kind of where we are up and down the river, and then we used to get like barges from the stockyards, and then there was like a like a rail line that came behind our place too that would go straight down there. Um, the rails are still there. There under they're underneath stuff now, but they're still there. Yeah, yeah. you can see them in certain sections. They like, yeah. break through the asphalt every now and then. Yeah, it's that's amazing. It's Chicago. It's and and that's a so here's what blows my mind. Chicago's not that old, like in the, in the world. So when I go to, like for us, that's incredible. Hundred years is like oh, wow, it blows that's our minds. Yeah, you're like yeah. I can't believe 1920s. Yeah. I was in uh, Rome, like four years ago. It's in to me that's the coolest thing is seeing literal layers of history as you would see uh, in, in geology or something like the the different strata of the layers of earth it's like that same thing with history in rome so for us like 100 years is crazy i went to a wedding in maine and had to i flew into boston drove up to maine and in boston even boston is way older mm, yeah oh totally there was a sign there's like hey this town is like 1750 i'm like oh my god yeah, like, like that's whoa. so old then you go to rome and like this is three thousand years old <laughs> totally it's crazy yeah, and you're i mean that's the whole thing like, i remember just like getting like lost in like the back uh back roads of Tristevere when we were in Rome I'm just kind of like oh this is like literally like 
been he, like people have walked these same streets. But here was the, actually the wildest thing. So I was in Rome about the same time, maybe oh, yeah. four years ago. I think pre-pandemic. Yep. Yeah, as this time frame. But like, so because I was like, okay, I want to see what like like young Italians are like into. You know, like what's like what's like the scene like. And so you're like, okay, you know, we're we're on this kind of back. You know, we're just, we're we're the deep cuts, right? And the wildest thing is to see like the permeation of like U.S. culture, but more nostalgic u.s culture so the big thing mm. was um was u.s culture in like the 40s and 50s World War II. so totally and so i i found one of the most curated stores i've ever seen in my entire life and it was all like the you know like like the doo-wop skirts uh like vintage like you know shot jackets and all the you know kind of like the the, the workwear type stuff and it was like whoa and that was like the scene and it was like Frankly, it was like the cool. I was like, "Damn, you guys make this look awesome! Way cooler than any you know, but in the U.S." But it was. Why is uh, it that the Axis countries seem to be super into America? Maybe not so much Germany, but I think about Japan. Oh, with, with streetwear. I mean, that's the thing. Is like Jap, uh, the crossover between you know U.S. and Japanese streetwear is like a whole different thing too. I mean, I was. I'm sorry. The, the reason it's on my mind is I've been listening to this book about World War II, and how ruthless Japan. I mean, we were. Obviously not uh, angels, and nobu is in war, I guess. But the the level of just suicide bombers, like how crazy that is. They I didn't know this. They had suicide swimmers that would like swim out to the boats and blow them up. But anyways, that that was part of the axis. So was Italy, and now you you're seeing like this reverence for American culture of that time seems bizarre to me. Now that we genuinely exist in a global economy. And this is the whole piece of like, you know, the internet, right? So you think about how like ideas, concepts, trends, you know, whatever it maybe would get across the globe, it would have to be someone physically traveling somewhere and then bringing it back and then permeating. I mean, now you can literally see the entire world at your fingertips. And that's that kind of bigger, like, you know, I always think about the concept of like, how would you explain the internet or a cell phone to a cowboy. And it's that whole concept where you'd be like, well, you, I mean, there's so many layers that you would have to go through, but it also like, there's a whole separate conversation about how like, you know, these kind of like emerging like micro scenes like blow up way too fast. It's not even really a scene where usually it would take years for things to kind of grow and to be like, oh man, this is what's happening in, you know, the US or it's happening in the UK or Italy or Japan or whatever. And now it's like, you have this like immediate, uh, transformation and transmission of Social culture. media is pushing totally. it. Yeah. yeah, information. Like, information is instantaneous, basically. And that's what I mean, makes everything accessible, which is And yet we use all stressful. this to dance on TikTok. So I was going to say, so, but look, I, I don't know if all your listeners, yeah, I saw some wild stats too that was talking about how like, you know, like, like Gen Z is, you know, they use TikTok or Instagram basically instead of Google. Really? So, or they over-index on actually, like, you know, it's actually, like, like, because, I, I mean, I get it where it's, like, the utility of it, where it's, like, it's real time, and I do enjoy where you can learn things, which is kind of cool. Yeah, but yeah. that's where it gets dangerous, because the, those platforms, they can, sh- they can choose what they show you, oh, Yep, and that's how they get you. That's well, you. and that's, that's how they sell stuff to you, way. or that's how they influence what you're thinking, or what you're going to buy, and or so where you're going to go. Told, well, no, and that's where, I mean, I've. I got a whole separate conversation, but like, man, there's some real wild and gnarly stuff that you can do where basically it's like you can figure out because that's the thing. It's like on these devices, right? 
you can figure out pretty easily, actually, because all the devices, I mean, you know where everything is. So you could understand. Like, so say I wanted to sell toothpaste to you specifically. I could go on the back end and I could see the statistically five um, phones that are most tied in your proximity at all times over the last three, six, 12 months. I could actually target those five phones. And it also would be based on your age too. And a lot of times this comes down to like, if you know people are about to like have a kid or go to school or whatever it may be. So they can literally, it's predictive analytics as well, which is a whole different story, but you could actually geo-target things to those five phones which inherently, whether they even know it or not, and I use, I use toothpaste as such an example, you know, to be like, man, you know, um, I really love this new toothpaste or whatever. And then you hear that from the five people that you are around the most, and it influences you whether you know it or not. So it's a back end of word of mouth. And it, it won't seem like you can do that. And you're like, that's gnarly. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the one thing too. It's like, as you, and I've always been like, the one story that I always kind of tell, and this is the one thing that blew my mind where I was like, I don't trust anything that's put in front of you, right? If something's paid for or if it's like, so I remember uh, I'm going to date myself when, uh, when text messages, you know, you had to pay by the, by the text message, which sounds crazy. So Verizon came out with the new bundle package. It's got unlimited texting. It's got, uh, you know, voice and all this different stuff. And the bundle deal, the bundle package, the bundle package. Turns out if you do a little bit of research, <laughs> If you unbundle the bundle package, you actually save more money. Oh. Which, again, defies logic because you think of – it was the special bundle package, right? Special, special bundle package. Okay, great. So I'm like, no, this can't be right. This, this again, doesn't even make sense. So I go into the store, and I'm like, uh, yeah, great. Hey, how's it going? They're like, oh, are you here for the special bundle package? That's our new thing. And it's like, yeah, great. Hey, so I had a quick question. This doesn't sound totally bizarre. Can you unbundle the bundle package? And the guy was like, no, but you want the bundle package. So that's the special promotion that we're running right now. And I was like, yeah, correct. Okay, great. But just out of curiosity, can you unbundle the bundle package? Well, you know, we do have the bundle package available. And this is one of those where I was like, I'm going to ask you a clear and direct question right now. Can you unbundle the bundle package? Like when there's other people around, the guy's like, all right, come here. Like, and he goes, yes. Technically, you can't unbundle the model package. You have to do a la carte items, blah, blah, blah. I was like, great. Can you please you know, break that out? Save like $30 a month. Unbundle it. But again, I'm sitting here, I'm like, it defies logic. So you're like, from a consumer standpoint, it's like things are not always positioned and put in front of you that are in your best interest. So that's the whole piece is that, you know, to be a savvy kind of like, you know, consumer because it's a whole different world and especially with, you know, technology. Where And also I think the other thing that's so wild is that, you can put anything you want on the internet, right? I mean, I can literally like make a website and do all the targeted ads and say the craziest shit in the world that could literally not even be accurate, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, well, actually, what I was going to say, because actually I think my podcast ads are running right now across all social media, uh, you know, about how great my, you know, full grand podcast is yeah. uh, created by Anthony Spino, who completely runs <laughs> it and owns everything. Oh, and it was, oh, that's, that's so great to have you guys as guests on my show. Oh, but great. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And you're just like, what? No, this is crazy. This is you can't say that. And you're like, it's the internet. You can say anything you want. So it's hard to sometimes like discern between fact and fiction. And so that's the big thing that I see as a challenge for the future is like, how do you disseminate between information that's that's fact? Because also fact is subjective too. And that's what's so wild. Mm.
I mean, you kind of, we had an episode talking about a bit of what you're describing where we went into some of the terms that the world uses to describe leather goods in terms of marketing. So there's specific language that marketers have used to spin the perception of certain types of leathers because leather is very confusing. Like if I told you to describe this leather on your wallet to me, you'd go like, it's brown, it's oh, kind of shiny. Well, here, let it. me, let me just, it's a great. So the great thing about this wallet right, yeah. <laughs> is actually, so you're looking at, you know, Ashland, of course, Horween leather. So if you're familiar with Horween, no, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you could go on and on. Well, so that, you know, they would say, well, oh, this is full grain, genuine leather and it's got an aniline finish and you're you're going like oh that sounds interesting and cool but like most people don't know what the hell that means well, and like you can, what who cares you can tell them and they're how are they gonna they just have to believe you it's like it's such a limited like vocabulary anyway well okay so I'll, so uh, there's one thing uh kind of caveat to that or, or to dovetail at a certain point so the one thing um you know as we all we obviously understand that i'm assuming both of you guys agree that climate change is real? Yeah. Mm. No. Probably. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're like, depends on how you define climate change. You're yeah. Like, <laughs> no. No. But you like, actually have to be more specific you, these days. Well, like, or, oh, and or, humans are affecting yeah, it. Yeah, and, well, or, yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, as we have get into a world where that's more of a conversation, you know, and people are, and again, what other side, of, whatever side of the coin that you're on, you know, a lot of times the the discussion will lean towards. Uh, well, what's your personal carbon footprint? Yep. Then you start talking about the trivialities of, oh, is it the paper straw or the plastic straw, right? You know who actually created that term? Your, you know, and again, was carbon. Was it the straw maker? No. <laughs> it was some of the large uh, oil companies. Really? They pumped a lot of money into, again, making that a thing where people can then really focus on their own carbon footprint and how they can help, you know, do these great things. When in reality, we could live, you know, 100 lifetimes and it's not going to really make an impact more than 10 minutes of some of these, you know, facilities or whatever. And so, but it, it, it shifts the thought, right? And then again, then people get into like, oh, are you recycling or don't forget to recycle or put that in the bag? And, you know, these things where you're like, it takes you away from the bigger picture, which of course is very complex and there's no easy solution. It's so intertwined with everything and shifting people's mindsets on things. And again, a lot of the stuff is terminology that's made up, which is kind of crazy. So it's like, I mean, there's someone- It works. Well, totally. I mean, I always think about like uh, when you look at toothpaste, for example, I used to work uh, on a think tank for a large, uh, very large global company. You know, it's like strategists, like their, their jobs, you know, are like come up with like, you know, like, like names for things. Oh, did you know that this is the- uh, you know, uh, gr graded, uh, sorry, I usually like to do this where I pull things that I'm looking at. It's kind of like, uh, like the usual suspects, uh, when he's in the office, I was going to do something with the grate that I'm looking at, right? There's yeah, like, yeah. oh, do you know it's, it's the graded mic, uh, technology? And you're like, the graded mic? And you're like, oh yeah, it's amazing. This is breakthrough technology. And you're like, which literally made that up as a joke. I don't know. You know it's <laughs> like, who's Kaiser Soze? You're everywhere and nowhere at once. I feel like the uh, the bundle guy and the carbon footprint guy are like the same guy, like this evil marketing guy that just travels around from company to company. Well, so so imagine those dinner parties, though, right? Because they probably all have like some sort of club out there. And it's actually, I remember I read a book called uh, Toxic Sludge is Good for You. And it's about some of these like uh, PR firms that like kind of come in and they're like, how you can shift and position things. But I always wonder if there's like, you know, it's kind of like Dr. Evil and all this stuff where it's like when they have these dinner parties, right? And they're kind of like, like who, who can out evil who? And they're like, 
oh, you come up with carbon neutral? Well, let me tell you about this. They're like, man, that guy is evil, you know? And it's like, <laughs> who can out-evil who? Um, but I always wonder, like, what are they eating? You know, is it just like normal food or is it like real exotic <laughs> type stuff? Or like, then who can like, I don't know, you know, keep pushing the limits? So to, to tie these couple conversations <laughs> into one package, I find it really interesting because you're talking, we were talking about phones and got to this with the marketing. But the interesting thing to me is that the the knowledge and the access to knowledge that we have now is so good that people will find somebody like Nick talking about leather and they'll they'll instantly be able to call BS on whoever's marketing to them and know that they're sort of getting like tweaked in a certain direction. I think that's a great thing about the technology we have. Couldn't agree more. And what ends up happening is like the best stuff rises to the top because people won't be fooled for too long and this is this is where you know the the bs meter right i mean for and again it's not the not everybody but for those that really do kind of like you know seek this kind of stuff out and are real knowledge base i mean they can they can call out you know in off you know in authenticity and things that are just like bs like real quick which frankly i think is amazing because we have more access to information i mean than literally any other time in human history which is so wild Mm -hmm. When you really think about it, it's like, you know, knowledge used to always be secret. It was only, you know, really centralized in academia. And again, like even before the GI Bill, academia was only for the the elites. I mean, essentially, like not everybody went to college. I mean, that's, I'm going to say everybody, like a percentage of the population. And so it was always very insular. And so, you know, knowledge was frankly secret. And that's the thing is like now, I mean, you can take online courses for free at some of the top, you know, universities, I mean, in the world. It's kind of remarkable. But the question is, you know, what do you do with it? And going back to as we both, you know, we all of us evil. started our uh, TikTok careers and dancing. Yeah. I got to figure out my sweet dance moves. But uh, you know, so. I want to go back to where you started. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we tried to bring this up like an hour ago. But tell me how you got started in the beverage industry. So I was uh, working for Universal Music Group, running the uh, the Island Def Jam record labels um, for the Midwest, like the promotions. And then we were throwing parties at night. And so uh, we were throwing a party called Rehab at Debonair, which actually won uh, Best Party in the United States. Uh, for, Congrats. <laughs> so that's a real thing, which is kind of, I always love bringing it up. It's kind of like so ridiculous. Like, that's real? I mean, I had but, a girlfriend um, that would go to Debonair. It was like every Tuesday or something like that. Monday. Monday, yeah. So I, I think back and I'm like, damn, that we literally were out every single Monday night for like years. <laughs> I don't even know how long. I mean, I was like, oh my God, it's like dog years. You know, you're like, damn, that's a wild. But uh, so you started throwing parties for that well so i was i was actually hosting it so it was with okay. and that's the great thing is like so literally this the scene at rehab was like or actually i was joking right? i'd be like yeah no we all know each other from rehab and then i'm like no no, no it's a party it's a party and i was like you met all these people in rehab and they're like you when were you in rehab and then but it was like that's what's cool is the scene where so it was like Derek barry who's now um you know did save by the max and is now running bucket listers um zach eastman who owns easy does it um I mean, Clayton Hawk, um, Million Dollar Mano, not, I mean, all these people. And it was just like this whole thing that was, uh, was really rack. It was, this, it was this moment when like, you know, like 2009-ish where, you know, like people were literally like dropping out of school to become DJs and then going, you know, from like the house parties into the nightclubs. And uh, it was this whole kind of moment in time, which was an absolute blast. And so I always knew that it basically Pabst and Red Bull had um, at the time like a field and culture marketing programs. It was always like, this is next level. I mean, I guess what is now called like experiential marketing um, to a certain extent. But so, you know, I ended up, um, 
you know, through 30 degrees of connection amongst great people. Um, next thing you know, in skinny jeans, leather jacket, may have been wearing a fedora, uh, you know, <laughs> no. but uh, at Pabst, um, in, the, in the Pabst office when they were based in Woodridge, Illinois, and uh, actually started in the old style brand. Um, oh, yeah. And it's wild. I mean, it was, I, I had no beverage background. I'd never been to a wholesaler. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't even know what pricing was. I had literally no idea. And was able to kind of, you know, enter in and work my way. Um, I remember one of the things that was like so pivotal is that at one point they fused the field sales and field marketing roles together. And of course, it was like, no way. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I want to know anything about that, right? Um, it was a total crash course. And one of the things that, you know, next thing I know, I ended up trans, uh, or segueing into brand management for the old style brand. Um, and was like, because a brand has been declining for 22 years. I How mean, long did that take? You just showed up and they're like, yeah, you're the brand manager now. Oh, oh, <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't the same. I mean, I, I had to, I mean, again, I'm not classically CPG trained. So, I mean, I literally had to kind of like work my way up and navigate. What um, is it about you that they would want you to be a brand manager? Like, what did you show them? Well, so I mean, so, and, you know, I was, one of the biggest things too for all this is is having mentors and people who, who give you a shot and give you a chance. So, I mean, there was a CMO at the time, Dan McHugh, and you know, still to this day, I mean, I, I was never classically CPG trained, right? And the whole thing was like, you know, there was ideas and, you know, new school kind of ways of thinking, but I, I didn't know how to translate it into actually like, you know, like a, like a brand plan or like, you know, a sit in a boardroom, wherever it may be. And, you know, without him, I mean, I wouldn't even be here. So it was one of those things that, you know, he Got really kind of like shepherded me and, you know, like helped me kind of like learn really to take, you know, I ideas and put them into something that's coherent that you can then share and then also you know understanding you know people talk about like sales and marketing i mean they have to work hand in hand you have to have a full scope of the business to really understand all the different facets to be able to kind of make an impact and if, if i think back about that brand not a lot of people were really excited about them you know and it seems like you kind of spun it in a different direction like what was the key to make old style cool again well so i think one of the things or too, cool again is that a well, right word like no, and, relevant and, and, no, well, no and thank you because if you're chasing cool you've already lost cool is fleeting right i mean the whole thing that's the joke is like there's nothing more than when you're like trying to like suckle off the teeth of cool right i mean you're already three steps behind then so the well, piece it was that, like your grandpa's beer oh, wasn't i mean, I mean old, old style is beautiful and that was the biggest thing is that it had been through so many different kind of brand iterations and all these different things. And the one big thing for me, and as you know, put my flag in the ground, and frankly, I was like, look, I'll put my job on the line for this, frankly, I believe in is to go back to the classic, the 1977 classic white can, you know, and again, it's, it's not retro, it's classic, but something that has meaning. So, and that kind of defies a lot of the thoughts. So I was like, you have to be new, you have to appeal to this new generation. You're like, that's the whole thing, right? Because culture is cyclical. So you can remember if you're in, you know, again, 21 to 35, that was the beer that you can remember in the context of your mind. So go back to the classic can, but then bring it and infuse it. And this is where field and culture marketing comes into play. And that's the whole piece where I kind of cut my chops. It was like, I mean, I didn't go to school to figure out how to spend money on billboards and all this other kind of stuff and just move money around. I was like, no, you have to actually like play a tangible role in culture you have to actually be there but more importantly you have to create and that's the biggest thing is that you don't sponsor things you create things you have to actually play a meaningful role in society and that's the big piece and that's the kind of change maker so to take a 
beautiful brand like Old Style. I mean, again, that's why I still have the wallet. I mean, I'll remember for the rest of my life because it was, someone told me it was career suicide. They said, don't take that job. You'll never change it. You will never, ever turn Old Style positive. I don't care how good you are or whatever it may be. And uh, it was actually one of the only times I cried in a bar, to be honest. Uh, when we got, I was actually out with the wholesalers. The other thing, too, is that there's sales, marketing, trade marketing, but more importantly, wholesalers, right? Your wholesaler is everything. The guys that are actually on the street, you got to be out there with them. You know, you, you have to be in the trenches, right? So I was actually out with some of the wholesalers, and, uh, and I got the email. I was like, holy shit, you did it. And it totally threw me off. I remember I was standing there, and I was just kind of like, yeah, I was a sensitive dude. I got a little choked up, you know? And I remember I, I looked at me, and I go, holy shit. Okay. Well, wow. Didn't expect that. Everybody thought I just figured out I'd gotten fired. <laughs> so everyone goes, Spina, well, I mean, no, it, dude, what? No, it, you'll, be, you'll be okay. No, you'll be fine. I mean, like, and I go, no, no, guys, we fucking did it. It's positive. We turned it. And what was magical about it is that it was this moment in time where, you know, we went back to the classic 1977 packaging we also returned Old Style to its original brewing in G. Heilman. That's actually how I met Randy Hughes, um, who did the system liquid. Mm-hmm. We did the first innovation um, you know, in decades with Old Style Oktoberfest, Cooler by the Lake Rattler, all this great stuff. And uh, to this day, it was also my biggest thing was like, if you time this right, the Cubs are going to win the World Series. <laughs> I swear to God, I swear to God, I, I literally said this on a conference call, and someone was like, Spino, I don't know if we can, you know, like fully, you know, like put everything on your field of dreams. And I was like, I'm telling you this, look at this, literally. So like all, like all the hair, like my arms, because I was like, there's going to be a moment in time when an entire generation looks down, the Cubs win the World Series, and they're going to see that iconic 1977 packaging that their father and grandfather drank and it's literally going to literally reignite and bring this back to where it should be because it's beautiful. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that, like, you have to be all in. There's no other way to do this stuff because it's like the second that you start playing everybody else's game and you don't fully believe it, like, you have to eat, sleep, and breathe it. So it was one of the things that, I mean, I, you know, proudest moments um, just because mm. you have to believe and you have to see a bigger vision. So when you um, started at Old Style, the the sales were declining oh, and, and you were able to totally s- i mean it was it was you were spun it around in a positive direction just in time for the cubs to world the world series in the was that 16 2016 yeah that was uh, it was wild how did you end up with the white claw brand oh well so so this is the whole thing it's like you know not only are there magical brands but there's magical people too so when i first went to paps i mean there was this core team i mean it was just Sanjeev Gajawala, Zach Nadili, Justin Kelly, um, you know, Keith Hill. I mean, they, you know, this this amazing group, right? I mean, and, and Nick Osborne, all these, you know, if I'm forgetting anybody, I don't know, but it's like all these just like people. And it was it was so cool because it was this kind of like this moment in time. You know, again, much like you talk about like, yeah, like the rehab party, right? It's like with certain brands. And so some of the former Pops guys had gone over to Mark Anthony brands. And, uh, you know, be kind of casually talking and they're like, hey, you know, come on over. It's like, dude, there's something happening here. This is really cool. I was like, all right, cool. You know, and so I kind of reached that point where I was like, you know, I'm not some classically trained CBG guy. And I was like, dude, all I, all I ever wanted to do in my entire life was not only make a positive impact on culture from a brand standpoint, but like for me, it was old style. 
that's where I started and that's where I finished. And I was like, where do I go? I don't, you know, I, you're going to retire with it, the championship. Well, no, yeah, it's like science, <laughs> you leave on top. Right. And so you're like, all right. So, um, oh, I end up, I'm at first and first, Jerry. Um, no, it's but so, white claw wasn't an existing brand, right? Well, this was a new thing. So this was the thing that was so, I mean, a lot of this stuff is it's about right place, right time, right people. And you know, these magic moments that happen. So, when I got to Mark Anthony Brands, White Claw had been around for I want to say it was like two years, maybe. And so, you know, it was something that I'll, man, I'll never forget. I mean, I was like, oh my God. I mean, I think I was like six months in and I was like, holy shit, something's happening here. Because it was this, I mean, it's wild to think that like hard seltzers, the concept did not exist like six years ago, right? This is something completely new to the world. When you look right now, hard seltzers are 10% of the total U.S. beer category, which is frankly remarkable. But with White Claw, the big thing, it was, it was the same feeling with PBR, where it was like, oh, my God, you tapped into something bigger than yourself. And that was the thing when we were doing, um, you know, so I was, I started with Old Style, but then I was, you know, um, running the, uh, the PBR, like field marketing uh, in Chicago. And so the biggest thing that we always just say is that none of us are cool, Right. Like we, we are shepherds, we are stewards of something that, that has meaning uh, to a lot of people. And so it was like, oh my God, I mean, people embraced White Claw. People embraced, and again, when we say hard seltzers, is that the big thing was that it was one of the first case studies to be gender neutral. Um, and also it became a lifestyle brand. And so the big thing is that you can't buy that. You can't fake it. The question is, what do you do with it? Were you able to achieve that success by following the same playbook that you used on the other and and starting with your parties on Monday night? Well, like the same sort of so, concepts there. So here's here's the big when you can create the infrastructure and the plan that I mean, for, first off, it, you can't manufacture stuff like that. I mean, you can build an ecosystem that can embrace it, but it has to happen organically. And so, yeah, e even this, even if a seedling of organic then you, you have to have the infrastructure ready to even engage with that, but then also pour some gas on it too. And that's the biggest thing is being able to put things in the right places and kind of playing this like, uh, I always kind of give the analogy of like Kaiser Soze. How do you be everywhere and nowhere at once? And that's <laughs> part of the magic. And that's kind of like, you know, the, the, the utilization and creation of field, genuine field and culture marketing yeah. will always win. I mean, that's the piece. That, to me, that's your superpower is bringing, uh, creating community, I think is what I see from you. you nail on the head is that you build something that's bigger. Because again, a brand is a brand. But if you're something you know, bigger than oneself and something else, more importantly, bringing people together. So that's kind of cool is that, yeah, it starts about like uh, gender neutral, but then also being able to operate in different facets of society and different groups. And, you know, again, it's, it's a special moment. So, I mean, well, that brings me to sort of like where we're at. What just happened two weeks ago is seems like the culmination of your, like your professional history, right? That, that was something. Tell me, tell me. So Riot Fest, how did you play a role in Riot Fest? Well, okay. So I was like, and first and foremost, I, mean, I, I've looked up to Riot Fest, you know, you, you talk about, building community, doing something brick by brick. I mean, Riot Fest set the book. I mean, especially Mike Patrician too, is like, you know, it started in, Mike and Sean is like, you know, one venue, 
three venues, five venues. Next thing you know, it's an outdoor. You know, I mean, it's like you build a community, right? And it's done for all the right reasons. And the reasons are, again, just like genuine love and like genuine, like, you know, passion, authenticity, something that, you know, you're like, this, this has meaning to it, right? And so, you know, Mike and I, you know, we go way back and, uh, you know, those things when we first kind of brought this out. Mike is the founder for Pride Fest. Yeah, and, and, you know, some of his, uh, I mean, and his, his whole staff and people that he, you know, say staff, I mean, his, his whole crew, essentially, they're just it's awesome. It reminds me of old school paps. I mean, it's just like a collective of good, great people. The long story short was like, well, hey, you know, um, what if we created a brand? You know, again, that's kind of like a festival exclusive. And the cool thing is that when you're dealing with people that, you know, it's like, it's not like, um, it's just super organic and you just want to do, you know, the old adage, like you just want to do cool shit with your friends. So next thing you know, Riot Pop was created. Um, but the cool thing too, is that that was the first time in the history of the United States where, you know, so the, it wasn't like riot fest creates a hard seltzer, you know, you're like, oh, okay, cool. It's like, no, this is something that is bigger. It's, it's a reflection of the community, but also it's the first time in the history of, to my understanding of the U S festival, you know, and beyond the debut of the first inclusive drinking system. And the big thing is that, you know, the Riot Fest community is, you know, they're so passionate and they're so loyal and they're so dedicated and really bring something that had never been done to include everybody. Because that's what Riot Fest literally is, where it's like, this is a community where everybody is welcome, everybody's involved. And so, you know, to stand there and see something where you're like, oh my God, this works. Because I mean, to be honest, like, the whole concept of the first inclusive drinking system at the beginning was like, am I losing my mind? I mean, I mean, like, seriously, it's like, you know, you think your brown is pretty good, but to see people really embrace it and also to be very like vocal about it and to be like, oh, wow, you know, I don't drink or this and that, or I'm, you know, now there's something for me. I feel included. Did you have the zero five eight there? Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Riot Pop was alcoholic. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was zero, zero, five and 8%. And so, okay. and so, you know, again, uh, I thought like pop is a very Midwest thing for like well, Coca-Cola. Well, soda, so, like, so that's the other thing yeah. too, is that, you know, understanding kind of like, you know, where you are and pop is a very regionalized kind of thing. So that, that the other great thing too, is always making sure that you're being legal, compliant, et cetera. So there actually are a lot of, uh, you know, there's actually seven different, um, alcoholic beverages that do use the word pop currently on the market. Really? So we run everything through our. Uh, yeah, yeah, we. <laughs> You're gonna be careful. Totally. I was gonna say, we make sure that everything's. Really I don't. Smooth, but. I don't know if you knew what he did there, but at Riot Fest, they made a specific drink for the event. Yeah, I get which, that. Which is incredible, and the brown. I got to show you the branding after we're done here. It's a throwback to like the '90s. 80s. Dan Wade did <laughs> such a good. I mean, literally, it's like that was. I mean, working hand in hand with the team. Because I mean, it's like you know, it's it's you people built like a I've, skateboard, like half pipe, put a half pipe like, in the middle of the festival, and that's so like when you're working hand in hand with people who, again, it's passion, it's real, and so it's like my favorite thing is like I'll take any good idea as far as to go until a lawyer or an accountant literally tells me that it's like impossible. And then it's like, yeah, let's put a half pipe. No sane person would say, absolutely. <sighs> oh, wait. Okay, cool. Let's do it. I mean, getting that across the board. And then again, having like uh, Aloha Worldwide team. And again, like all the people involved, it wasn't like some agency put this together. It literally was just like tapping friends. And, that and was what do you call thing. this type of market? Because it seems like that 
that example is what you've been doing from White Claw. So basically, you know, field culture. Culture uh, yeah. marketing? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, I think it's awesome. Well, and I go, I mean, basically what it, what it distills down to, and that was the biggest thing too, with building system from day one, is that we want to build it with people that cannot be bought. When I say people that can't be bought is that they're doing things with purpose, intent, and meaning. And so that's what's special about it is, you know, basically the world, personally and professionally, the way I live is three degrees of connection amongst great people. Hence, literally, there's three of us right now yeah. on the most amazing podcast in the entire <laughs> world um, talking about, you know, again, just things that, that have meaning to them. There's so much to talk to you about. And I know we got to wrap it up here. I think it's interesting. I was going say one thing. I think yeah. it's interesting as I listen to hear that you were selfie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hear you. Uh, you've got this skill, it seems like, to identify things that should be new or things that should change and then things that shouldn't. And I think that people are always trying to stick their hands in and make something new all the time. And I think that taking that old can is an example of you've got something that's already there. There's no reason to make things complicated. But then you've got this idea for this 0% hard seltzer too, which is kind of the other side of it. So I think that that's an interesting, you got a super it's an interesting power. skill set. Yeah. Thank you. Well, my old thing is like, look, times may change. Some things stay the same. And, you know, everybody's a different kind of like context on how they view the world. And you know, a lot of times people say, well, there's nothing new. Everything's been done. Well, I'll use uh, Vampire Weekend for an example, which I love, by the way. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, this is literally just Paul Simon, right? Or whatever. And it was kind of like, yeah, but to someone who's never heard that before, this is completely new. Just kind of like positioned in a way that's presented, at, you know, as something like, new and special so i mean uh, i want to end it with one more thing that you've you've worked with all these larger names that a lot of people know there's another thing that you do that one of my rooms upstairs is decorated with the chicago pizza summit oh, which we haven't even you. talked about oh my gosh total labor of love it's thank another you. example of such a fun like community thing we, we first episode we talk about hot dogs another famous chicago thing is the pizza Give me like a one minute wrap up for on the pizza summit. And are you going to do another one? Absolutely. So yeah. 30 seconds is again, I love pizza more than anything. I've had to ask a doctor literally like <laughs> if I eat like too much pizza, are there health implications? The great thing also, if a doctor told me this is that pizza actually does, if you do it right, consist of all the major food groups. Does it have electrolytes? So, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's what people crave, obviously. You can put electrolytes in anything. No, but uh, so, I mean, you, you can get actually all your key food groups through pizza, um, which is magical. But anyway, side note. But no, so the whole thing was like, you're like, how is nobody brought together all like the key pizza? I mean, this is, this is the greatest pizza city in the world. How has uh -oh. nobody put this Shots together? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll put that flag in all day. Um, but so it's like, that's what's so amazing. And it wasn't easy. I mean, I get this whole separate story of, you know, how it came together. But if you get a bunch of people in a room and the three tenets of Pizza Summit, community, friendship, dialogue, simple as that. And what happens when you basically say, hey, great, come literally be around the pizza community. And this is a celebration for us all. Uh, it became a thing that I never even realized would be as big as it did. It grow sequentially year over year. Um, one of the biggest challenges has been, you know, with the pandemic, I mean, again, that's where you always go back to the three tenets, right? Community, friendship, and dialogue. We will never put our community at risk. We always want to have dialogue. And again, friendship is based on those things. So, you know, with the kind of like uncertainty of the pandemic and things like that, 
We said, look, let's just put it on pause for now, especially, um, you know, it's been challenging, but when we come back, which we will, it's going to be bigger than ever. And nice. that'll be one of the greatest moments as well, probably akin to Riot Pop and uh, the first inclusive drinking system yeah. debut. I'm one of the most fun things I've ever been to was that in the boxing event. Everything you do is gold. I think for the marketing, you just say pizza kills COVID. I mean, it should be all <laughs> yeah. set. I mean, it's just internet stuff anyway you know I, I, to be honest i actually got that tattooed on my neck i can't turn around but it was one of those things where i was like hey might as well roll the dice right so i know you gotta go uh, awesome thank you like guys honestly thanks it's been you're the best absolute honor and privilege to be here you two are thank you for bringing by some to, drinks no, too. seriously this is awesome this is great all right we'll see you thanks. uh we'll see you later let's do it again sometime see you next time anytime